Happy New Year or Happy Lunar New Year to those of you who celebrate. Today's fun fact is a little, oh wait, I guess, how should I, how should I word this? I guess this episode is coming out a little bit later, but we had just passed the Lunar New Year for those of you who celebrate. It's a pretty big deal in Asia and uh, Asian countries. Today's fun fact is that for Lunar New Year, on the very first day, you are not supposed to um, shower or wash your hair specifically as it washes away your good luck for the year. You're also not supposed to sweep your floors, cut your fingernails, cut your toenails. You're not supposed to get a haircut. You're not supposed to sweep the floors. You're not supposed to take out the garbage um, because you'll be throwing away all of your good luck for the year. It was literally garbage day on Friday. (laughs) Yeah, which is quite unfortunate. Yeah. (laughs) But you can do all those things like the days leading up to yeah. New Year's, but on the day of, it's a big no-no because you will yeah. be cursed with bad luck for the entire year. Yay! But yeah, I know this episode is coming out a little later, but I hope you all had a lovely Lunar New Year if you celebrate. And if not, I hope uh, you had a good week since yeah. <laughs> our last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tams. Hi! I'm Leanne. I'm Tammy. Who does this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. And you're listening to Incrimination. We still haven't not, worked out who says what. Yeah, no. Today's case will be short, like I said. Mm-hmm. And I think it has kind of a positive ending depending on the perspective that you take on it. And then it's a little bit thought-provoking as well. So since it is a little bit shorter, I have some, like, questions at the end that I will leave as Ooh. a cliffhanger for people to just, like, let us simmer in their minds and, like, talk about it with mm-hmm. their friends or something. Um, and so just before I start, I looked into two main sources for this one. So one of them is the Hindustan Times, or three main sources, Hindustan Times, um, APB Live, and then the Economic Times in India. Most of my other sources kind of just repeated what all of them said. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the struggles with, like, researching is just trying to make sure you're using, like, the right information. Yeah. So you just kind of use everything to, to try to, like, back it up, but then you realize that those sources are just using the sources that you already looked at, and you're like, okay, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> oh, did you, did you see that, um, that that user on Twitter that pretended to be the creator of Emily in Paris. Yes, yes. That's such a, like... uh... It's such a funny prank because it was all... Like, her entire account is satire. Like, that's all it is. And people actually believed her. And I can kind of see why, because things just spread so quickly on Mm -hmm. Twitter. And, like, when you just take one tweet out of context and you don't... This shows the importance of fucking... Just Google it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it just goes to show, yeah. like, journalism can be pretty sketchy and, like, not everything, yeah. um, not every source you read is 100% accurate. You gotta be careful yeah. about what even BBC reached out to her. Someone from yeah. BBC reached out and was like, hey, I want to interview you. And imagine, mm-hmm. like, if someone in, and I'm sure someone has done it before where they're, they're like, yes, even though they literally have no credible information about yeah. a topic. But they, they just do it because to 
troll, I guess. Who knows? Yeah. But I thought that yeah. was a good um reality check. Yeah. But I don't know. It's sometimes hard to find like you can only go so many pages into Google before you're like <laughs> <sighs> Our case today takes place in India back in April 29, 1999. <gasps> That's Arnie's birthday. April 29? Yeah, um, except 2020. <laughs> you know what? That's okay. I'll keep that you in mind. Baby. Now I'll remember it. And then yeah. you can say happy birthday to Artie. Yeah, but on the death anniversary of whoever's in this case. She actually dies on the 30th, so... <laughs> Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God! Spoilers. We're sorry. (laughs) Anyways, we're going to kind of just jump into it because there isn't a lot of preamble or backstory to the people who are really involved in in this case. I'll give a little bit more information as we kind of go along. But I, I literally like I, I tried to search for their their like story and their history. There wasn't a lot of information Mm -hmm. out there. So. Jessica Lal was a 34-year-old lady who was also a model. At this time, she was working at a restaurant called the Tamarind Court, which was owned by a well-known socialite and also fashion and clothing designer by the name of Bina Ramani. So on April 29th, 1999, a man by the name of Manu Sharma, who was the son of a politician in a northern state in India called Haryana, Um, he went to the restaurant with his friends and they were just, you know, drinking and they kept drinking way past midnight and they were getting pretty close to the closing time of the bar. This sounds a little bit like my last case. Yeah. With the models and the politicians. Uh uh (laughs) Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's, yeah, it was kind of funny. Like, I was thinking about that because I had just started researching this when you were talking about Mm -hmm. that case too and I was like, hmm some similarities Hmm. but mine doesn't go as deep like there isn't as much information on this one so Mm. um but they were getting pretty close to the bar's closing time and the bar were the bar already ran out of most of their liquor and they kind of just stopped serving alcohol because you know there's always that cutoff point where you're like you know we're just not going to serve you anymore right like last call yeah so manu walked up to jessica who um, was still kind of cleaning up, and I'm assuming he was already drunk, so he went up to her and just asked for more alcohol. Mm-hmm. When she refused, because again, it was like almost closing time, he right. decided to take out a 22 caliber pistol, like .22 caliber pistol, mm-hmm. and he just shot at the ceiling, trying to intimidate her or just kind of scare her into serving them and be like, hey, mm-hmm. I have a gun, you should give us alcohol. Mm-hmm. Being the badass bitch she is, she just said no again. So she refused. And then this time he... And again, like, he is drunk. Yeah. This time, instead of shooting at the ceiling, he just shot at her head. <gasps> and then after... I know. Like, he he was just like, you're not gonna serve me alcohol? I, I, I feel like he might have been just, like, very... He seems like he could be the type of person where he just was very erratic and he mm-hmm. was also drunk so then and he has a gun which is like not a good combination at all yeah and so he just shot her in the head and he immediately fled the scene right after this which mm-hmm. is kind of a dick move were there no other workers yeah so there were other people like there are witnesses and things like that which i'll talk about a little bit later okay 
but he just left. And so Jessica was brought to Apollo Hospital, and that night she was already declared dead because she was literally shot in the head. Which is just really sad because she was just there working and doing her job. Literally. I feel so bad for our our service industry workers. They get disrespected so much for no good reason. Especially in, like, COVID season. (sighs) I know. I'm always... I overcompensate for it because sometimes I feel like I'm asking for too much. I know. Like, asking for... I I have, like, a really bad problem with ordering coffee because, like, I love drinking Americanos and that's, like, my go-to thing that I, I, mm-hmm. I drink all the time. But then sometimes I go in and I'm like, should I order something different? And then I'm that bitch who stands there staring at the menu and I'm like, <laughs> I'm not ready yet. Like, please just don't talk to me because I'm, <laughs> like, my, my brain is processing. Like, do uh-huh. I want Americano or mm-hmm. do I want, like, a fancy drink? Dude, it's okay. Baristas usually don't care, like... I worked in a coffee shop. We don't care. <laughs> as yeah, long as you're nice to us, like, yeah. no fucks given. You can order whatever you want. You can take your time. Yeah. But I always, like, overcompensate for it. I'm like, oh, my God, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But, thank you. I realize I, like, but, yeah. overcompensate. Or maybe I don't overcompensate. I don't know. But I realized uh, I, I went out for takeout today because it's Valentine's mm-hmm. Day. And mm-hmm. I got takeout. And I tip them like 15% even though I picked up my food and served it to myself. I wasn't sure if that yeah. was like weird to do. I'm sure they appreciated people it. People like, are doing it now too. Because I feel bad people are working during COVID. Yeah, you know, me too. And like putting themselves at risk. I mean. Plus they're also not getting as much dine-in. Yeah, people, exactly. So like I think the tips, even if you're doing takeout, is like much appreciated as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So on August 3rd, 1999, Manu surrendered and was taken in on charges of murder and destruction of evidence. And a lot of people actually suspected that he surrendered mainly just because of like the public pressure because a lot of people were really mad about this. Because she was a model, she was working under a well-known designer um, and things like that. So mm-hmm. the case itself got quite a bit of attention. And so there were a lot of people throughout India who were just demanding for him to be arrested and but they knew it was him and he hadn't been arrested yet or what yeah he he just like kind of like left and i think Mm -hmm. he was in hiding but also because his dad was a politician some people think that maybe his dad put pressure on the police and were kind of was kind of like oh you guys don't need to search that hard for him or who knows like Mm -hmm. I, i think some sort of political power and political sway played into it Okay. But it, it did take a while, if you notice, because he surrendered yeah. on August 3rd, which is about, like, three months after. The trial itself took so fucking long, dude. It was really? so long. It took, Yikes. like, seven years. What? I know. For for someone who shot a woman in the face? I know. <laughs> so get this, though. Like, it was actually wild. So the trial not only took a long time because people suspected that police themselves, again, were botching the entire case and just, like, purposely trying to delay it or purposely just, like, messing with evidence or making it more difficult <clears throat> or making it more difficult for just legal processes to take place. Mm-hmm. And according to an investigation that was done by the news magazine Tehelka, they found that some witnesses were also bribed to withdraw their testimonies. So kind of going back to, you know, there were people at the restaurant who likely saw, heard what happened. Right. Because 
like a gun's loud. Yeah. Um, but yeah, people think that they were bribed to withdraw their testimonies, and it was just kind of like a really messy trial process. So and he shot in, in the air, so like yeah. people probably would have noticed them and turned their ter- attention towards them right before he shot her in the face too. Yeah. Or, like, even right after, because you're like, holy shit, what happened? Looks, and then, yeah. like, you you see a man in front of a woman who is now dead. Yeah. Like, it's pretty obvious kind of what happened. There's no other way <laughs> for, for that to happen. Yeah. Surprisingly, somehow in February of 2006, so, yep, seven, seven whole ass years, mm-hmm. he was actually acquitted no. of the charges against him. And this made so many people just really mad. Like, everyone, again, even at the beginning when he kind of fled the right. scene, people were demanding for him to be arrested. Mm-hmm. So, again, this time, you see a lot of people... There was, like, an outpouring of people who were really mad. A lot of oh. people who started holding protest marches who, like, you know, rightly so, thought that justice was not properly served, served. in this case. Yeah, for sure. And so the amount of outrage that poured out prompted the Delhi High Court to take an unusual approach. Let's go, Delhi. They ended up fast-tracking the the trial. Um, so they kind of, like, went back. And they fast-tracked this, like, next trial. And they repealed the previous acquittal. So nice. instead, in to- December of 2006, which is only 10 months after the first like, time where he was acquitted of the charges. Ten months later, he was sentenced to life in prison at the Tahar jail. Nice. So, over time, he requested for an early release on four different occasions. Mm -hmm. And one time in 2009, he was released for about two months to look after his sick mother, who was in Shandigra. (laughs) I'm like, I feel like I'm pronouncing that right. I could be wrong still, though. Unfortunately, he was caught violating these conditions of his parole because he was actually seen in Delhi at a nightclub. Oh my god. And he also got into a pub brawl with the son of a police officer, which is oh my god. unfortunate. <laughs> this guy just can't stay out of trouble. Yeah. So according to an interview he did with the Hindustan Times, he spent some of his time in prison studying and also reading a lot of books. Somehow he was even able to finish a degree in human rights while also studying law. So it was, like, while very in interesting. Because, yeah, while he was in prison. Because he just, he had some assigned duties where he would, like, work, um, like, tending to the gardens and, like, working at the factory in the prison itself. Mm-hmm. But he also had other time. And it wasn't, like, a high security type of prison kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It, not, like, not high security, but it wasn't, like, a maximum security type of situation where everyone there was, like, super dangerous and everyone's, like, a serial killer or highly uh-huh. violent type of person. So I think it was a bit more, like, chill. Relax. Okay. Yeah. I feel like that's really rare to ha- to give um, criminals an opportunity to actually improve their lives once they get out. Actually, he was sentenced to life, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of get to it, um, okay. but we'll talk about that too. While in prison, he also started an NGO called the Siddharth Vashishta Trust. And that's actually his real name, but he's just more commonly known as Manu Sharma. Okay. And the purpose of this NGO was to rehabilitate inmates and their families, um, like, after they, like, 
finish serving their sentence or mm-hmm. even just in general um, putting them in contact with each other right. as well as to provide support to the children of inmates who he noticed were often neglected and not well supported because if their parent were to be um, imprisoned mm-hmm. these children would not have enough like monetary support and financial support and things mm-hmm. like that so I guess he kind of paired his degree in human rights and i don't know if he actually got a like a degree in law but he did study it Mm -hmm. um i guess he kind of paired this and maybe what he was learning what he was reading with what he was applying through this ngo wow so that's it's kind of interesting i think this is sort of like part of the part of what i mentioned at the beginning of how it's just an interesting take like it depends on what your perspective is on things and like Mm -hmm. whether you think this is a good thing, like Mm -hmm. people rehabilitating in this way, etc. So in 2018, he was moved to an open jail, which basically meant that he could leave the prison to go and work at his NGO. However, he would not be able to spend any time outside of this office or go to another city. Like he had to just Mm -hmm. go to his office, do whatever work he needed for the NGO, and then just go back to prison. I see. Was he like supervised when he does that or... Yeah, I think he would have been. I didn't see anything that said anything otherwise. I'm sure okay. there were times where he violated that anyways, because it seems like they were pretty lax about it. Considering mm-hmm. that he was, he like, usually you have a parole officer, but he violated his conditions and was in a completely different fucking city. True. Um, so I think he probably violated it. But there isn't anything else regarding him like doing anything violent because the incident back when he got into a fight was back in 2009 and this is now 2018 when he's like working on his NGO Mm -hmm. almost like 10 years later and things like that so yeah kind of interesting yeah there's a law in India that allows people who have served more than 14 years to be released early, especially if they have a record of good behavior in prison. And this is something that we hear quite often in terms of, oh, well, they had good behavior. Yeah. Things like that. And I think sometimes it's a little bit questionable. Um, but I guess it just depends on your your view, too. Mm-hmm. So this still obviously has to go through a process of approval. It's not just like boom, boom, bang, like 14 years, good behavior, check mark. you can go. Like it yeah. still went through a process of approval. Wait, so what year was he admitted to pre- I, I, That's a weird word, admitted. It was in, it? he was, so he was sentenced in 2006. Okay. Which meant it's So about, 2020 like, would have been the year that yeah. he is allowed out-ish if he's, out-ish. If he's been yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, that's really recent. He, also that, and then I think he was still kind of, like, in and out of jail, just, like, leading up to the case as well. Because I don't feel like, even when you're going through trial, do you just, like, let people run rampant? Like, he had to have been watched somehow, too. Back in June of last year, he was considered for early release. And this was actually officially approved by the Lieutenant Governor, Anil Bajan. Bajal. After serving around 16 years in prison, he was released early at the age of 43. Obviously, there are going to be different opinions and reactions to this because Mm -hmm. I think there always is when it's more of a kind of controversial case. Mm -hmm. For sure. So there were a lot of women activists who were really displeased with the early release. And according to the New Indian Express... 
they said that it is very subjective what good behavior is and what he has actually done to show that good behavior. And it should not be the ground for basing early release. Right. And I think further to that point, their concerns mainly stem from the continued crime and violence against women in India. So one of our listeners actually pointed this out after listening to our episode for Ahmad Saraji, that there is a large gender gap in India and that women are still kind of seen as inferior to men, especially Mm. when it comes to more rural regions. I feel like that's the case for a lot of Asian countries. Yeah, I I feel like that's the case for most places still. (laughs) Most of the world. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, there's definitely still that perspective. It still persists. It's not something that's gone, unfortunately. When asked about the murder, Manu Mm -hmm. says that he never intended to harm anyone and he feels very sorry about what happened. And he said that the worst part for him was having to see his parents suffer through it as well. And as for his plans for the future, he said that he's going to focus on his NGO and help children of jailed inmates get the support that they need. And it's kind of nice, too, because Jessica's sister, Sabrina, came out to say that it has been 21 years since the incident. My fight was always for justice and he has served time for what he did. Now, if he is free, it does not bother me much. It is fine. Mm -hmm. There comes a time when we have to move on. I have clearly moved on. One can only hope that he does not repeat what he did 21 years ago. So a lot of people saw that as kind of an, of like her forgiving him for what happened back then. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the two sides of it too, because obviously there are those women activists who are rightfully mm-hmm. like angry about it because they are fighting for women's rights in mm-hmm. India. And then there's also the more personal family side of it where right. Sabrina herself has said, you know, he served his time for for what he did. That reminds me of that one case where, I, I think, was it that white woman who went into the wrong apartment thinking it was her own and then shooting the black man? And then the brother of that man um, forgave her in court? And there was, like, a lot of people... Yeah, there was a lot of people, like, upset that he, like, forgave her, but then also... A lot of people saying like, oh, it was an accident. She said she was yeah. really sorry about it. And like, it's his um, right to choose how to, he copes with yeah. uh, that loss and how he deals with that. But yeah, yeah that, that, that reminds me a lot of that because there was a lot of people on both sides like, oh, um, this is not forgivable, yeah. you know. And I agree because I think for the people who are personally affected by things, they can choose how they want to respond, right? If they choose to forgive them, yeah, I've that's been... yeah, that's up to them, right? And like, yeah, we have to accept that because we're the general population, we're general society, right? Like, yeah, and to go after them for forgiving them is also so contradictory, <laughs> like. <laughs> Like, what? It yeah. doesn't make any sense. I, I feel like the people who are grieving should be the ones to... I mean, it, it's kind of, like, hard to say because, you know, different people have different views on what punishments should be. Mm-hmm. And, like, not everyone has the same opinion. Yeah. But I, I, I think that if her family is able to move on, then that's yeah. good. And I think there's a difference between saying you know, 
saying that you forgive someone, but still wanting to see justice be served, if that makes sense. And in this case, she said justice has been served because he served his time. He didn't serve a life sentence, but he served like 16 years in prison. And I guess in their family's mind, that is enough. And I think that's just what it is. Like, it's their decision to choose how they want to, like, accept it in a way. It's interesting though. That's why I said it's it's kind of like a positive ending in a way. Like he is working on his mm-hmm. NGO and the family, at least his sister has come out to say, you know, it's like I'm fine mm-hmm. with it kind of thing. So it's interesting. There's a little bit of other like tidbits that I wanted to mention here at the end as well. So like I said, his dad um, was a politician at the time and his name was Vinod Sharma. And he was actually the Minister for Power and Public Works Department for the Northern State of Haryana. But he ended up resigning in 2006 because the case itself and everything that was happening around it damaged his political reputation, which is kind of a given. Right. Also, fun fact, embedded in the case, you can find him on LinkedIn. What? (laughs) (laughs) Like the politician? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found him on LinkedIn. Did you, did you link him? No. <laughs> it's like, hey, I did a case about your son. Uh, I don't up. know if he'll enjoy hearing about I mean, we didn't yeah, slander no. him or anything too much. No, 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 we didn't. We just talked about it. Because mm-hmm. at least this guy, like, tried to do something positive with his life. The only thing that yeah. I wish is that he centered it more on the victim. Because he himself is not necessarily a victim in his yeah. case. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it would have been more right to focus on the victim of the case, considering how much he's done to the family of the actual victim. Yeah. And then he names the organization after himself, which is... I know, yeah. It seems very, like, narcissistic. Yeah. like, (laughs) a little icky, but also, like, I believe in, like, you know, a lot of criminals deserve the right to a lot of things and there's a lot of people involved whenever someone is incarcerated um yeah that don't deserve the lives that they are dealt if that makes sense yeah yeah i think he kind of also followed in a little bit of his dad's footstep or like may have still been inspired by his dad so his dad according to his linkedin (laughs) his (laughs) His headline is a great social worker and Indian political leader from Haryana. And he actually started his own uh, political party called the Haryana John Chetna Party. And this party is focused on the development and growth of Haryana and also on human rights and youth empowerment. So, you know, Manu studied and got his degree in human rights. And I think this is kind of just an area of focus for him in terms of human rights when it comes to people in prison and their their families and things Side like note, that. Side note, I think Haryana is a very beautiful name. <laughs> yes. I would just like name a person that, you know? Yeah. Like I know it's a it's the name of a state, but it's like yeah. it's a really pretty name for a mm-hmm. place. I don't know. I like A's and, in names, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah. Manu's brother is like completely different. So his brother has a degree in business Dang. management from Oxford University, and I think a master's from right. King's College in London. I don't know which one is which, like, but it's like 
still very well-known places. He is the founder of ITV Media Network, which is an Indian news network, as well as Prosperity, which is a sports media company that partnered with the Wrestling Federation of India to launch the Pro Wrestling League in India. And wow, I know. And back in 2016, he was named the news television CEO of the year at the ENBA Awards in India, which is like just wild. Like, and this is all from I think I took it from HuffPost and they did like an entire (laughs) article on his life and um, sort of some of the things that he did. And it's just really weird, like same family, but just (laughs) like... Two different situations, but it's interesting. That happens with most siblings, mm. so, like, I don't think siblings but are I mean, that alike, usually. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, me and I my brother know. are so different from each other. Like, Leon and I study completely different things. Yeah. But it, this is, like, just very <laughs> contrasting, because one went to jail, and the other is like, hey, what's up? <laughs> but, yeah, mm. I just thought that was interesting. And also, as I mentioned earlier... They were at the restaurant of a designer by the name of Bina Romani. And I feel like we could do an entire episode on her, even though it's not, like, crime-related. But she has, like, an entire, like, very interesting life. She was a daughter Mm. of a relatively wealthy family. She was the youngest of 12 children. And she had a bit of a tumultuous (sighs) life with a bad and kind of abusive marriage, as well as um, having to fight cancer, which she successfully (gasps) beat, which is awesome. Oh, yay. Um... But she she's pretty well known in India, and uh, she is kind of known for setting up a like fashion hotspot in Delhi known as the House Kaz Village. She actually got quite a bit of backlash and a lot of pressure from the public as well uh, during this time to talk about it to to like yeah to talk about it, and people were just like being really mean to her. I don't know why. Maybe oh. just because it happened at her restaurant. But she, mm. yeah, she had a bit of a tough time at that. They actually made a film called No One Killed Jessica, which is like a weird title. That's a weird title. Um, this was released back in 2011. And it was mm-hmm. actually relatively successful. I didn't have time to watch this, honestly, because I've been watching the Elisa Lam thing on Netflix. Oh. So I was like, eh. Have you, how, how is it so far? Oh, I finished it. It's good. It's like four episodes. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, it doesn't take yeah, you that yeah, long. Yeah. It's good, I think. I feel like... My friend said that only the fourth episode is worth watching. I watch everything at 1.5 times speed, so it takes less of my time. So Leanne. <laughs> it just, like, it was fine to me. Like I, <laughs> like, I think, I don't remember which episode it is that they go through the elevator thing. That was really creepy. Mm-hmm. I remember I was so spooked. It, like, it always spooks me. Like, every time you see the yeah. footage, it's just really spooky. What I enjoyed about the series was because they showed what the web sleuths did and sort of Mm -hmm. the damage it had done to the case itself too because a lot of people were really invested in the case and it's okay i think that's fine um but it it was kind of you know the age of the internet really starting to pick up i know it was 2013 but even back then was like when you started Mm -hmm. seeing things like get viral really quickly and so i remember seeing the video online when it came out yeah so like it just kind of showed the extent to which web sleuths like, they were trying to help, they had good intentions, but they actually ended up, like, doing a bit of damage 
in in some ways and a lot of people went Mm -hmm. after this death metal artist even though he was like literally not even in la at the time (sighs) he was in mexico and the mexican version of of like the fbi showed up at his house and was like hey people are like accusing you of 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 killing elisa and and things like that and it it kind of just like derailed his entire life which is really sad to be honest that is really Um, unfortunate yeah so I, I liked it. And that's why I was kind of worried about the series, too. Because I know we touched, we talked about it, how, like, yeah, yeah this case is really um, mysterious. Yeah. But it, it, it's kind of disrespectful sometimes to yep. just pull theories and, and make a big, you know, uh, fuss about something that's more than it really is. It can yeah. be really disrespectful to the actual victim as well as, like, the family members that are involved in the crime so yeah. I, that's one thing i was really worried about when i saw that this series was coming yeah. out but yeah it's good that they actually mentioned that because i think that's really important to be mindful of especially like uh since true crime and like podcasts are so popular nowadays it's uh important to try to be really careful i hope that we like going forward are all really mindful that like true crime are is stories about real people yeah and it has an actual impact on the lives of people out there like someone really lost a friend a sibling yeah like a parent so yeah sorry side note (laughs) i know that's like it is a side note but i feel like it's important to mention and also important to keep in mind because Mm -hmm. I think it's easy for true crime to be sensationalized and I don't think true crime like true right. crime is not a personality trait right like it's you're yeah. talking about real people whose lives have been derailed or just like really and something more, really traumatic more happened for the to worst them. yeah exactly and yeah. I think it's just important for us to keep that in mind and even as you know we kind of joke around in our podcast sometimes um I think when I try to research cases, like, I try to find more about the victim and tell their story as well. And when I can, yeah. I try to, like, make sure there's enough information about them in the case. Yeah, and I think that uh, one thing that you, I, I really enjoy about us is that, um, and I, I want to really emphasize this, that we, uh, for the most part, I know that, like, the true crime genre seems quite exploited yeah um of like other people's sufferings but at the same time i think these are really important stories that should be told especially with like me and you we started this because we wanted to tell asian stories that don't you know get a lot of attention that we feel should get a little more attention some people may disagree but i i think that these are like stories worth telling and i think that as long as we keep that in mind and we aren't like oh this is just like entertainment because we're interested in serial killers um i think that we should keep telling these stories yeah and not be afraid to overstep but also if we do overstep accidentally like acknowledge yeah where we make mistakes yeah and we're totally open to that yeah so the two questions that i wanted to ask you know 
to you for listeners to to think about too is just like what do you think about early releases on the premise of good behavior and how does this reaction mm-hmm. how does your reaction to this change based on the type of crime that they've committed or the number of number of crimes and the severity of the crimes that they've committed because in this case he killed like one person and it seemed like more of an erratic behavior and it seems like he has reflected on that throughout his time in prison Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but in other cases people are released early or not even put into prison at all and they just like deuces and they don't they go on with their lives not changing anything like maybe they don't kill again but they they're still assholes right (laughs) um so it's like we saw with um the junko furuta case like half of them re-offended or like committed other crimes yeah, um, and they were released early because they were young at the time. But yeah. uh, that's interesting. I don't. I'm not sure because. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm not sure about a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think it's a straight answer. There's no right answer. Give. There, here, there yeah. isn't. It's kind of just like you look at it, you have an opinion about it, and this opinion can change. And then my other question was kind of related to what we just talked about in terms of Elisa Lam and and. And almost since like people are kind of like sensationalizing her story in, in some ways, mm-hmm. or just like the whole thing around it. And I think people focus a lot on like the Cecil Hotel rather than focusing on this life of Elisa, right? Like, and, and some of the mm-hmm. stuff like that her she... mental health problems and yeah. like support for individuals who are needing it. Yeah. And I sent you that thing on on Reddit last night that I saw yeah. too because I was just scrolling through true crime like r slash true crime, mm-hmm. and I, it, it just popped out <laughs> to me and I was like, oh, this is actually really interesting to read about. But so it was basically um, a Reddit user who also takes some of the medication that um, Elisa took and mm-hmm. was on at the time, and she was explaining her experience with um, withdrawal when she ha- started like leaning off of the the. Mm-hmm. The medication and some of right. her experience and she was just kind of explaining like i can i can't even imagine what elisa was going through but it was really similar to another post on reddit as well yeah i feel like reddit can be a pretty interesting place to look for commentary anyway yeah um but they were also saying like yeah like when i was weaning off i was like um, there was one person who posted, like, they were clawing at the walls thinking that they were climbing them. Yeah. And, like, things like that. So, so I was really conscious of that when I was yeah. posting. So I'm, I'm glad I was able to read those things yeah. and incorporate them in my research and stuff. We're seeing this rise in interest for true crime and things like that. And mm-hmm. I know this is, like, a little weird. Like, we're doing the true crime podcasting and we're talking about it, too. But, like, what do you think about movies being made about people's deaths or murders and movies as well like a differentiation between like movies versus docu-series because like docu-series at least is still like kind of keeping the real people's names and all of that and it's Mm -hmm. more of like a documentary and they're doing interviews they're explaining the Mm -hmm, facts mm -hmm. of the case versus movies where it's like a plot because i feel like one is trying to at least capture the facts of the case and and explain Mm -hmm. um what the investigators went through what the families went through and things like that whereas the other is kind of like hey we're gonna turn this into like a thriller movie which i feel like is very insensitive (laughs) Um, yeah but yeah i no i agree i remember listening to one podcast i can't remember who did it. it i think it was 
I think it was Sinisterhood. They were yeah. talking about a movie with like I feel like it was jo- I feel like it was Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart, mm-hmm. but it might have been it might have been someone else that I'm mistaking. But they basically turned the murders into a comedy. Yeah, see, and like, that's, no, <laughs> that's so fucked up. Like, uh, yeah, and I feel like yeah, I don't I don't think they should be made to and entertain as much as they should be made to tell a story yeah um and like bring uh, like attention to a case yeah i i don't know as but as but also at the same time like i think the family and the people related to those individuals their opinions matter the most yeah yeah well thank you so much for listening through our discussions today if you want to see images about the case uh please check us out on instagram at incrimination and if you want to read the sources that leanne used for her research on jessica lol uh visit bit.ly slash incrimination uh, is that it? it yeah all right yep. okay bye, bye. <laughs>